This is Live Well Talk on A Day in the Life, and this is our second installment of A Day in the Life of what happens here in the hospital, just beyond doctors and nurses doing their job. And meeting with me today is uh, Crystal Henderson, who is a phlebotomist and has been here as long as I've been here, so we'll get into that. <laughs> but we wanted to showcase uh, what happens here beyond doctors and nurses and surgery. Um, I'm sure people that aren't involved in medicine think it's like Grey's Anatomy here. It's not. <laughs> um, but, uh, Crystal, I want to sit down and just kind of get to find out what you do in a given day. Um, so you're a phlebotomist, mm-hmm. but, but let's start out. How long have you been here? Uh, 22 years. 22 years. March. Yeah, yep. it'll be 23 this coming March. And how long had your mom been here? Um, it was my aunt that worked in the Was cafeteria. it your aunt? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Your aunt. How long she was your aunt here? About 42 yeah, years, yeah. I believe. Long yeah. time. Yeah. Long time. Everybody I, knew her. Yeah. I'm poly- I always thought that was your mom. So yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry about no, that. that's okay. I know you're very supportive of her when oh, she was yes. ill. Yes. That's probably why I thought that. But what does a phlebotomist do? What is a phlebotomist? Well, a phlebotomist is basically um, support system on the backside of everything. We work in the laboratory services and there are... Um, different areas you can go into. It's sort of an um, entry-level position, but you could go into the med tech program that we offer here. And we have medical laboratory assistants and associates now that help with requisitioning forms and specimens and receiving all specimens in. We are getting a multitude more than when I can even remember when we started here of things that are special send out, special instruction type testing. And those have to be specially handled. And so phlebotomists are trained to do that. And our medical lab assistants are trained to do that as well. Um, We are actually revamping that a little bit more so now to kind of culminate and capture some of the billing processes of that as well. Um, so it's been a kind of a ongoing um, part of the laboratory that's forever evolving. Like most things, everything changes. And so you kind of have to change with the programs to meet those needs. And a phlebotomist learns not only that, but we start out with drawing blood and just 90% of it really is customer service. And I actually come from a non-traditional student background. So I encourage those people that are thinking I've never been in the medical field or I've never done this to reach out to somebody that is. Uh, as a non-traditional student, um, I w- was a little intimidated at first. Sure. Um, but my background was in teaching, and lo and behold, now I work with um, one of the instructors here, and so I help teach the program. Um, so I really enjoy that portion of it very well. Um, so it kind of all came together for me. But it's something that is... Um, like an apprenticeship program that they have now going on. I'm glad to see that coming back because this is really a hands-on learning experience. I believe you can go in and have your classroom discussions. And when you come out to the actual patient's end of it, then you're really dealing with that patient as if we're saying that these are the ones that are our loved ones here um, and our families are here. We also take care of those that if they are our family that are here as well. So not just seeing that person as a patient, but seeing that person as potentially one of our family members. And once you make that connection, I think, and then the rest of it all kind of comes together just with the humanity aspect of everything. And then just the love of helping people. I've always said with the key to being a physician in three categories are uh, approachability and availability. You know, you're around and you'll see patients. Then likability. And then followed by that is your medical skills, mm-hmm. you know. And so you're so right. Once you make that connection and develop those interpersonal skills and really see it as not a blood draw in room six, but a mm-hmm. person in room six that needs a blood draw, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, once you can see that, it you have it made, really. The rest mm-hmm. is just kind of falls in place. You're yeah. absolutely right. Well, take us through your average day. 
I know you got in here early today. Tell, just take me through your day. Uh, my alarm goes off about 3.15 in the morning. Um, that's usually my little dog that wants to go outside. <laughs> so uh, I get up, take him outside, get him fed, come back in, um, just get ready for work, grab something, uh, a banana, kind of a healthy snack before I leave. You don't have really much time to fix a full breakfast. So usually I'm out the door running and come here, get my cart ready to go. We have our carts that... Um, about six of us that come in early in the morning and then we come in and our carts are usually ready to go or we kind of have to um, get them prepared to go to the floor with all the equipment and special things that we might need. And then everybody kind of comes in at five and we just sort of hit the floors running. We hit the critical care units, ICU units. Um, long ago, we started uh, with just coming up with um, labels that were tubed up to each floor. Uh, back in the day and now we have all our electronic ipad systems tablets so we scan everything now and uh, so that was a learning curve for me i'm not a real technical person but i've I've learned quite a bit here Um, but we go up and uh, scan the barcodes and we get the labels for the patient test requests and um, we try to get that turnaround time, no matter what the numbers are, by 7 o'clock. So when all the fish physicians come in, they actually have their results by that time. So they know how to plan that patient's day. day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Particularly so, surgical patients. Yeah, you since, need to know. Yes. And so all of us come up and we just, like I said, we just kind of swarm is what it's called. Yeah, it's the like swarm. Bees yeah. flying all around, just collecting everything and, and getting all those test results back as soon as we can. Between you and the radiology, there's... Yeah. They're the, you get out of their yes. way. They're they're on a mission in the morning. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. when I was house staff, early nineties, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had to draw our own blood on our patients. That was just part of the ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot, but I also learned that every patient's different. Yes. And you know, the patient that you can absolutely see the vein that's going to be the one that rolls on you, right? You know, I mean, so <laughs> yes. it's yeah. So, mm-hmm. what are some tricks you've learned over the years to yeah. be successful as uh, uh, drawing blood? A lot of times the first thing I do is just kind of gather some information from the patient just through some small talk of the morning because a lot of times they've gotten maybe came in through ER, didn't get up to their rooms till maybe three or four in the morning, had a six hour stay down in ER. When they um, are woken up, they're usually not really happy to see us, Um, but some are usually okay too with everything. It just depends what went on with the night. It can be pretty frustrating with the patient. We don't take that any personally at all because we just know it's been a long night for them so just by talking with them kind of get to know what their night was like before i even start anything then it kind of gauges me into what this person went through that evening or even the day before so that i know what's best for that patient so then i ask them you know if they have a preferred arm that they like to use they usually can tell me so you kind of make that connection with the patient first before anything the whiteboards have been really helpful in the room so you can go in and kind of read those um, and you kind of getting just a little bit of tidbit information, sort of a small autobiography about that patient and what they're, where they're from even, or what they've done for their, uh, living. And it can key you into asking questions about that. You know, people love to talk about themselves sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. and you learn a lot that way. I found out through that. So, um, usually then they've, I've come around a little bit more and will actually share their experience about what they went through in ER. And then you can kind of have a little bit of a small talk about that and just real simple terms about what you're going to be doing and then how you're going to do it. And then the 
length of time that it's going to last. And that, yes, it, even though it's a needle, it might hurt a little bit, but we'll do the best that we can. And so we have a two stick limit here that if you don't get it on the second try, we're calling another phlebotomist to come in. So right away, some people say, well, I'm a really hard stick. Some of our new folks that we have that we're training now, we tell them to come back and get somebody that's a more senior phlebotomist. And then they're welcome to go back and watch that person and see how they do with that person so that they're getting that training too as well, rather than just coming in and trying to stick and miss and stick and miss so that they know what we can actually do. Some of the other tricks that I do is... Um, a lot of times you have the little gauze pad that you have. Once you find the vein, you can kind of make a diagonal shape, sort of a diamond shape that will make a point to where that uh, vein is so that that way by the time you go back and get your stuff, it's kind of angled where that vein is so that you can go back, retie your tourniquet, and then get your blood draw. And patients find that kind of funny because they look at it, nobody's ever done that before. No, they, I, I've never. Yeah, they all, everyone has their own little tricks. Yeah. And some people will take the back of the green uh, cap needle. And if you press it on the skin, it kind of leaves a little circle indentation. And that's great for doing blood cultures because you can't go back and repalpate that area. So if you make a little um, landmark there, then you kind of know where to go back in and put your needle without having to repalpate right. that vein. And, and for the listeners, that helps mm -hmm. the blood culture be more accurate. Yes. Because, I mean, it just happens, but mm -hmm. I, I rounded mm -hmm. this week and I had two people, you know, it's a contaminant, mm -hmm. they're not toxic, but you don't know it's not yeah, right. until that culture is finalized. Yeah. And sometimes it'll take two days. Yeah. So know? now we have the new Curie system that we're using. And so that is probably going to decrease, I think, quite a bit. Oh, really? Um, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, it's a new device now. It has the hookup and a little cartridge inside. So that first set of blood that you get will come around the cartridge and it's a porous little piece in the middle that saturates the blood and then it pushes it forward through another channel. And then once it comes out of that channel, then you can pop on your blood bottles. And then that kind of takes care of any contamination from that first point of entry of the needle to where the blood goes into the bottles. Without, it, it, rather than letting blood run all over the floor. Like sometimes, <laughs> you know, we do that with like yeah, some, some procedures, you know, because yeah. you don't want to get that contamination. That's yeah. very interesting. So we're going to, yeah, we're sending down studies with that now. So we're monitoring that to see how it was. And I, I think mine will even be improved quite a bit too. It's actually slowing us down a little bit too. So we're giving us a little bit more time for those veins, maybe to even present themselves a little bit more. I think we kind of get in a rush of trying to get things done really fast. And that's where we sort of lose that slow down time and taking your time to get those so that those aren't contaminated. I, I always like to say for in medicine, you want to be, want to be quick but not yeah. in a hurry. Right. And there's a difference there, there right? Yes, you know? yes. Um, you want to have some fast hands, but mm. clear head. Yes, yes. Um, that's, now, I sometimes I'll, I'll, like, if I have a patient that's been here a while and I'm rounding on them and I know I don't need the blood work at 7, you know, mm -hmm. I'll order it for a mid, like, 9 a.m. draw or whenever, which I know it's the next time they go yeah. out. It might be closer to 10, but and if you don't need it right away. And I encourage my colleagues to do that as well because it just allows the patient to get Maybe an extra hour of sleep, yeah. which is huge. Yes. Huge in the hospital. It is. This is not a good place to rest. No. And we talk that, we have that conversation quite a bit with our patients. And so when I go in the room and, you know, I knock on the door and we wait to turn the lights on right away. And, you know, yourself, if you're sleeping, someone turns on the lights, you're just that instant Yo, yeah, <laughs> you know, blindness, yeah. you know, you don't want to blind Particularly if you're a little bit hard of hearing. You yes. know, I've, I've yes. startled a couple patients over the years yes. that, you know, just couldn't hear. And yes. All of the lights are on. And, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So I go up and talk with that patient. 
patient, make sure they're awake, but know what was going on, you know, if their doctors ordered the blood. And if it's something that I feel that is routine and can wait a little bit, I'll ask the patient, would you like me to come back in a few sure. hours or something? And most have been really appreciative to that. And I've just used that really starting this year. And it's made all the difference in the world when somebody else even has to go back, even if it's not me. They just, you know, tell the person, thank you for yeah. letting me sleep that little bit. I didn't get up here until, you know, wee hours in the morning. And, and patients really like that. When I used to work the nights, I would always try to maybe come back and see the patient mm-hmm. like 6, mm-hmm. 630. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they've been in the ER. Then they get up to, then they go through all the admission stuff in the, yes. up on the floor from midnight to 2. And then I come in and bother them at yeah. two to three yeah. thirty, yeah. you know. So I would always try to give them, let them get, because even a couple hours sleep makes a difference. Yeah, so. I can remember when I first started, I was coming at four in the morning, and we're hitting the critical care units and ICU units right away. And I think they do still do some of the overnight draws, but they're not really waking everybody up at that hour. And that's one thing some of our repeat patients have noticed, and they've made comments that they're glad that we're not doing that. I bet, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You probably sometimes see like a name and go, "Oh, they're such a hard stick." You know, kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Take a deep breath, a mm-hmm. sigh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, we have kind of the cursory question uh, in this interview. Why Why do you, what do you love about your job? You, you love people. That's obvious. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, it actually started, many people don't know this, but um, I started out as a candy striper here years and years and years ago. And I was here for about two or three years doing that. And we did start out with the babysitting service out front that we used to have. And then we went into the, they deliver flowers and then they had what they called the health line. And I think that's really where I made the connection. Uh, back in the day, you had cassette players yeah, and uh, people had a number they could call in and they could order a cassette off a catalog that was sent to their house. So they could pick up the pamphlet here. They would call in and I would be the one that would put the cassette in the player and then they would listen to just generic layman terms on any different diagnosis of symptoms of different diseases. That is amazing. And then I would rewind the tape and then the next caller would come in and that went on for four or five hours. And I was amazed at the calls that we would get in about that stuff. And I learned a lot, even just, you know, rewinding and listening to them later. And, and uh, so we made a lot of connections with the public that way too. It's kind of sad to see that go, but yeah, uh, it's nice. It's kind of that observation yeah. that you know, just progress is not always for the best. Yeah. You know, sometimes the way we used to. We call it Google now. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Google. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes if I have to tell a patient a diagnosis, it's kind of complicated. It might not be the best news, but it's not a death sentence by any means. Mm-hmm. I say, okay, before we start, do not Google what I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. Let me finish talking, you yeah. know, because yeah. Dr. Google will have, uh, you'll be worried if you listen to Dr. Yeah. Google. Yeah. Um, we... <laughs> We should do a podcast on Dr. Google. That would be an <laughs> interesting one. Yeah, I was a I was a volunteer here in seventh and eighth grade. Chris Callback and I, his mom was a nurse up in the CCU, longtime nurse. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were, uh, so that had been like a, hmm, 81, 82, somewhere in there. Sure. And we would we were lab runners. So we would take stuff that you couldn't put in the tube system. Yep. You know, so they, they mm-hmm. you had this little pager and you go to the floor, they yep. give it to you and run it down the lab. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Well, Crystal, thanks for joining me. Thank this is you. I, these this is your number two in the series, and they're a lot of fun. It's fun mm-hmm. to sit down and hear a little bit about you know people's story, yeah. and you're you're a good storyteller. I'm glad. To, <laughs> thanks for joining me today. Yeah, Once again, this is uh, uh, Crystal Henderson. She's a phlebotomist at St. Luke's Hospital. If you're interested in careers as a phlebotomist at St. Luke's, visit unipoint.org/careers. Thank you for listening. To Live well. Talk on. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers. 
about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.